0: This morning, we are kicking into a series uh, called The Illusionist Revisited. Now, last year, we actually did this series for four weeks. Uh, now, it's a different topic, different themes, different ideas. But part of the reason that we felt like that we needed to revisit this is because many believers, many Christians, believe things either believe things wrongly about the devil, about Satan, or they don't believe in him at all. There's roughly between 50 and 60% of Christians who don't believe that the devil's actually real. But yet the Bible talks about him a lot. I mean, he's throughout Scripture, from the beginning to the end. He's in Genesis all the way through to Revelation. I mean, if you don't believe... I mean, let me say it this way. Jesus had a conversation with Satan in in, uh, John 4. If he's not a thing... Who did Jesus talk to? He has a form. He's not just this abstract, evil force thing going on. And yet many times people can struggle with really pinpointing. Why? Because as the title of this series is is that he's a great illusionist. You say, well, what's an illusionist? It's somebody who does sleight of hand. It's somebody who says, hey, look over here while I'm doing this over here. And so he's, a, he's the master of distraction, which is what he does to many of us. Sometimes if, if he can't get us to do bad things, he'll just get us getting too busy doing a lot of good things that we actually aren't accomplishing anything. And the, and the enemy works this way, and I believe that many times that we can feel like this kind of tug of war in our hearts and not really know why. I mean, if you ever felt like that you're just in a fight all the time, not a physical one, but you just feel like, man, I just... I, Feel this pressure all the time. That's because we're not just physical beings, we're also spiritual beings. The Bible tells us that we are a three part being. You have three parts, three components that make you up. So you have a body. That's this part. That's what you're looking at right now. This is my, Paul called it a tent. This is my outfit. Not just the clothes that I'm wearing, but the skin that's on me. It's not the real me. I have a soul which is my mind, my will, my emotions. So my desires are all up in that, my thoughts. But then I have a spirit, man. You have a spirit, man. Every person on the face of the planet, this is true of. You didn't get a spirit when you got saved. You've always had a spirit. So you, you could say it this way, is that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you possess a body. You have a body. And yet, we are, many times we live in a in two-dimension world, although we are actually 3D. We're three-dimensional in our makeup. But we live in a natural world, and we deal with our thoughts, and we think that's the, the, the whole world that we deal with, and it's not true because there's actually a third dimension, which we would call the unseen or the spirit realm. And so the question is not whether you want to be in a fight or not. And really, it's actually the proper word would actually be in a war. The question is not, no, I, I, I want to fight. The question is not that at all. The reality is, is everyone is in it. No one is exempt from this. We are all at war. And you're like, man, that seems kind of extreme. Have you read your Bible lately? It's the story of a war between God and Satan. Satan. You're like, why does Satan hate me? Why, why, why does the devil, why, do, why does he want to do things in my life? Because he hates the God in you. So in a certain sense, you can think of it this way. Don't take it too personal. It's not just that he isolated you and just picked you out. No, he hates the Jesus on the inside of you. And he doesn't want you to tell anybody else about Jesus. He doesn't want the life of God in you to get out. And so what happens, though, is that many times there are two extremes when we start talking about Satan. And we're not here to glorify Satan. Here's what I can tell you is that he is a defeated foe. You're like, yeah, but if he's defeated, then why are we still in the battle? Because the story is not finished. We're still waiting and living out the books of the Bible, the book of Revelations. John did the best possible thing he could do to try to communicate what he saw. But how would you explain what an Abram's tank looked like to somebody who had only ever seen a chariot? A, a bomber plane. The only thing he ever saw fly was a bird. So how do you say there's a, a plane and it's dropping things and as it drops they explode? Like He had no context. So Revelations is all, but it is a spiritual war. It's not just a natural now. There are many parallels throughout Scripture where we see natural wars, but they were holy wars. They were spiritual wars as well. But here's two extremes that I see it, with many people. And, the, and both of them are equally as bad and dangerous. One extreme is this. is that One extreme is that everything is the devil's fault. Everything wrong is the devil. The devil made me do it. No, you chose to do it. He may have put the bait out there, but we take it, right? And so not everything is his fault. Now, there are times that he does attack, yes, and there are times, but here's the good news. And actually, during this last series, the Let's Go, I told you, and I shared this almost every week, is it said, what, go in my authority. Jesus said this, go in my authority. If you have the authority of Jesus, you have authority over Satan. Like, well, I don't know about that. Go read your Bible. You'll not find one place in Scripture where Satan got the upper hand on Jesus. You're like, yeah, but he killed him. Yeah, go read your Bible. Jesus says, you can't take my life. I lay it down. Big difference. Jesus did not live a defeated life. He chose what he, to lay down his life. Why? Because he knew what it would produce. The Bible actually, and this tells you the brilliance of God. He said, if Satan would have known what was going to happen with Jesus dying, he would have never crucified him. He would have let Jesus live his natural life and die. Satan's not as smart as we give him credit. The Bible tells if he would have known, he would have never crucified Jesus. He would have never allowed him to die the death. Why? Because his, the shedding of his blood is what produced our forgiveness. And so, but so we have these extremes. On one hand, it's like everything's the devil's fault. Or you got this other extreme over here, which is that he ain't real. There's no such thing as the devil. I'm just the product of my choices and life just happens. And sometimes life does just happen. But sometimes there are attacks of the enemy. And he is masterful. Masterful. At what? Deception. Getting us to see things that aren't reality, but then convincing us that that's actually the truth. And so we want to, over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about different lies that the enemy brings into our life. Why? Because he wants you to believe, because here's the reality, you're going to believe something. The question is, is what? Are you going to believe God's word and God's promises, or are you going to believe the lies of the enemy? Because that's all he does. He comes with lies, and and the thing about lies that make them so effective is they're not just way wrong, they're just slightly not right. And so we want to talk about some of these things. And Now now that I've said this, let me give you a scripture that has become probably uh, in the last couple years, I found this verse one day, and I just thought, man, I like that. I don't know why, but, well, I do know why, because I'm a little bit of an aggressive person at times. I can be competitive. Y'all haven't seen me much in a competitive mode, but I don't like to lose. I used to say as a teenager, my mom would talk to me about, you know, because I'd play baseball, and I'd like strike out, and I would cry. I was so mad. It's not because I was, I was just mad. And she'd tell me, she'd be like, David, of course, you know, I was trying to be smart. I like my sarcasm. And she'd be like, You got to learn to lose better. I'm like, Jesus didn't create me to be a loser. I'm a winner. <laughs> you know? And she'd be like, You got to learn to be a better sport. And I'm like, hmm. I was like, and she's like, you know, you got to learn to have fun. I'm like, there's a lot of fun in winning, mom. (laughs) There's a lot of fun in winning. Ain't no fun in losing. uh, But, so this verse in Psalms 144, verse 1, I love this verse, but it says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war. The Lord trains my hands for war, and he gives my fingers skill for battle. Love that. Why because I'm not in a physical fist fight, but I am in a war. You are in a war. You can say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You can say, I'm not a spirit. But the reality is, is yes, you are. Yes, you are. And the good thing is, is that the Bible says, is that God trains us for this war that we're in. He didn't just throw us to the wolves and say, well, good luck. No, He will walk with us. He will teach us. That's why we need to know the Word of God. And it says that He even gives us skill for the battle. See, there is no neutral zone. There is no place where we can go to. Here's the reality. We're either going to have two experiences in life. And sometimes we can go back and forth if we allow the enemy to do what he wants. We're either going to triumph. The Bible says in Revelations that they overcame the enemy by two things. The blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the lamb, so what Jesus, the sacrifice for us, and our testimony. The power of our story. You know, there's a, a phrase, is that many times that, that Satan would like to come to you and try to tell you about your future? Or maybe even bring up your past, but you need to remind him about his future because the Bible talks about his future. He doesn't have a good future and he knows it. He just wants to make sure that he's not there by himself. But you'll either overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, so those things, or you're going to be enslaved by Satan. And here's the thing. You can have triumph in one area of your life and be enslaved in another. It's not like we just, I mean, I say that from my own life. And we all have varying degrees of this. We may have unbelievable revelation in one area of our life and yet be completely enslaved by Satan in another. I've seen it happen my—I mean, just in my own heart. I don't have to tell you anybody else's story. I can tell you mine. But that is not what Jesus came to do. As I said a minute ago, the Bible is what? It's a book about war. It's a, it, it is. It's about two kingdoms that are at war, which is the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And yet, the devil has done a masterful job convincing people that he's not real. He, I mean... Unbelievable. And just because we may not sense or see uh, the spirit realm doesn't make it any less real. It doesn't make it less real. As a matter of fact, it makes it extremely real. So here's one of the first rules of any battle. doesn't matter what it is. I don't care if you're fighting in a a cage or a ring. If you're fighting a, a physical battle. What's the... Who am I fighting? you got to know your enemy. Why? Because if you know your enemy, you know how to fight. Because you'll find their weakness. You'll find the ways that you can gain advantage. And see, the thing is is that Satan has been studying humanity for a long time. So he, he can, I'll say it this way, he knows how to set up traps for us to fall into. But yet, if we'll recognize his traps, we can just sidestep them and walk right around them. And that's the goal. And so, you know, so we, we've entitled this the illusionist. Why? Because Satan is the greatest illusionist. He really is. He gets us distracted. He gets all these things going in our life. And, and, and so, you know, and the thing is, is, as I just said, he spent a long time perfecting his tricks, his illusions, these things that we don't see. And for right now, the world is his stage. The Bible calls him, in. The, now this is New Testament, it ain't just Old Testament. You're like, well, I thought that you said he was a defeated foe. He is, but Christ has not come to implement his, his complete reign yet. The Bible calls him the God of this world, of this present time. But his time is not eternal. His time is as long as God will allow And the Bible even says, why is God allowing this thing to, because he wants as many people. Actually, the Bible says, until every ear has heard, Jesus will not come back. That's why it's important that we support world missions. That's why it's important that we have a heart for the world. Why? Because predominantly now, more and more people in America are less knowledgeable about God than ever. So our country is actually becoming more like a mission field than ever. But we still need to send the gospel around the world. Why? Because there are lots and lots of people who have never heard. Have you ever seen someone do a trick? You know, do something, you're like, how'd they do that? How many of you ever seen somebody like a magician or somebody do a trick, and, and you're watching them super close, and you're like, do it again. Do it again. Like, I, you know, I shared this last year, but I had an uncle who would swallow a knife, like a pocket knife. His name was Uncle Les. And uh, he would do these, he had all these antics and stuff, so he would do it. And it looked like he swallowed this knife. It always did. And we, I mean, there would be like, a, me and all my cousins, we were, you know, probably older kids to young teenagers and we're all all eyeballs are on him watching we never figured out how he did it and he'd pull it out of you know some random spot or he'd go pull a quarter behind our ear and you know all those types of things and we're all trying to figure out how he did it and there's this curiosity that can come but i mean have you ever found yourself in a situation and wondered like how did i get here you ever been there like G, like you're driving and gps tells you to go left but GPS got lost. <laughs> you know, I've had that happen before. I've never been so frustrated in my life driving a car. We were in Sydney, Australia. I was driving on the wrong side of the road. I went through the same tunnel four times. And every time I drove through it both ways, I'd hear ding, which means I just paid to drive. Man, I was mad. Whew. Yeah, in a foreign country on the wrong side of the road, dark and in a tunnel, and GPS got lost. Like, how did I get here? The worst thing was I pulled over to ask a police officer. I'm like, hey, I'm trying to get here. And he's like, uh. i was like, yeah, you're not the guy I need to talk to. Because he didn't have a clue where I was trying to go. How about this one? Have you ever found yourself being bound by a sin or a, a situation and you wondered, man, how did this happen? I know better than this. Or I thought I knew better than this. How did that happen? Because we got tricked. Because the enemy is masterful at deception. And said, hey, look over here. Look right here, right here. While he's doing something else in our life. He, he's, he has perfected the art of his illusions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church. And, and he makes a statement. And he's giving them instructions, actually in context, he's actually talking about forgiveness so that you understand what he's actually talking about. But So think about this, he says, so that we would not, so he's telling us all these things, and he says, I want you to, be, to forgive because I would not, or so that we would not be exploited by the adversary, Satan, for we know his clever schemes. Unforgiveness is actually one of the schemes of the enemy, which I'm not going to talk about this morning, but... Why? Because he knows the damage that it produces in our life. You may think, well, they they don't deserve my forgiveness. You just fell for a trick. That's a scheme of the enemy to bind you. You've got to be careful. See how quick that happens? Just like that. Another translation says, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We're not ignorant of the things that he does. John chapter 10, verse 10 and 11, there's two purposes that Jesus pulls out here, and he says, the thief, the devil's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give uh, them a rich and a satisfying life. And he goes on, he says, for I am the good shepherd. Jesus, I am your good shepherd. I'm watching out for you. I'm looking for the wolves that are coming for you, but you do have an enemy, and he is coming for three reasons. And you're like, well, why does this matter? Like, Why is this a big deal? And why should I even care about this? It's very simple. It's really simple. It comes out of John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus says that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you believe a lie, you don't have the truth. And a lie will keep you bound where truth will set you free. See, freedom can only come through truth. Like, well, what is truth? Who determines what truth is? God's word is truth. Now, you have to make that decision. Is God's word your truth? It doesn't mean that it's optional because truth doesn't change. What's true is true. But you can choose not to believe truth, and you can choose to believe a lie. I mean, we hear that in our culture today. Well, what's true for you is true for you. It just may not be true for me. It doesn't work like that. Truth is truth. Up is up, and down is down. If you throw a ball up, it comes down. Why? Because there's a truth called gravity. And no amount of your I don't believe gravity exists changes the fact that it's going to fall. Doesn't matter what it is. Why? Because it's true. There is a gravitational pull in our planet that pulls things to the center. So it pulls it back. That's gravity. And yet when it comes to God's word, sometimes we can say, Well, it's just that's just not true. But yet the Bible is full of truth that the Bible says will set us free. Free from what? The work of the enemy. See, Satan wants to convince us many times that something is true that's just not true. It's not what God has said. He wants to come and whisper lies to us and fill us with things. And so God's truth, God's word will expose Satan's lies. It will. John chapter 1 verse 5 says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I love this one guy that I was, as I was studying. He said that darkness is actually the absence of light. Think about it. Darkness does not overtake the sun. The sun goes away, right? It goes to the other side. No amount of darkness can, or I'm sorry, that darkness is the absence of light, but no amount of darkness can extinguish even a candle, just the light of a candle. Now let me give you, and this is kind of a goofy little example, but we call them light switches, right? We don't call them dark switches. Why? Because when you hit the switch, the light comes on and darkness goes. That's the way this thing works. And so we have to understand, as I said a minute ago, we have to know our enemy to understand how to fight properly. And so the devil never comes with blatant and obvious lies. Instead, he takes the truth that God has said and he twists it just enough to to try to convince us. Just enough, just a little bit. So I want to share two lies with you this morning. Two things, two illusions, if you will, that the enemy tries to get us to buy into. And the first one is this, is to trust me. Trust me. And sometimes it will sound like this trust yourself. Trust your desires. Trust that you know what's best. And and the the second part of that is, trust me, I'm harmless. Nothing's going to happen. Just do what you want. There's, There's no consequence. I hope my kids understand that there's consequences to their actions. But this is a lie that the enemy tries. And so, you know, and one of the greatest tools of the enemy is is very simple. It's stealth. He slips in and slips out, and we're never aware of it. And he will try to convince us, and these really come together. Both of these really tie together. That's why I'm doing them together this morning. Because if Satan can, he will try to convince you of things that are your thoughts. Even though they're not. And I'll talk about this in a few minutes. But why? Because he's trying to come in under stealth. He's trying to come under just under the radar so we don't recognize him. Now, I want to show you how this plays out. And this is actually the first time that we see Satan in Scripture. It comes out of Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 together this morning. But it says that here in verse 1. It says that the serpent was the shrewdest, which we don't really use that word very much, but the Amplified would add this, crafty, subtle, or skilled in deceit. So that word shrewd there simply means that he's subtle, he's crafty, he's skilled in deceit of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now, I don't have time to go into all the theological backgrounds as to what happened here, but Satan was cast down from heaven. He was an angel. The Bible says he was an archangel. He was cast down to heaven, and the Bible says he took on the form of this snake. Sorry, that's all I can give you. That's all the time I got for you this morning. But it says, one day he asked the woman, did God really say? Now, the context of this, because it doesn't expressly say this, so I'll just clarify this. My personal belief is, if this was the first conversation that Eve had ever had, snake talking, I'm out. I mean, the good snake's... A bad, it's a dead snake, right? I mean, that's that's my personal philosophy. I don't like snakes. Now I know some of you might be snake lovers. I'm sorry, I apologize, but I'm not a fan. But the flow of the conversation leads me to believe that Satan had been coming and talking to the point that she was comfortable having the conversation. So I'm just, it's just my opinion. But it says one day the snake asked. Satan asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? She responds, says, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, which was the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, which was actually not true right there, because God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said, just don't eat it. He says, if you do, you will die. And the serpent responds and says, you won't die. See, Satan's already twisted two things in these couple of verses. Because the first thing that he does, well, let me, read, let me finish reading this passage, and then we'll talk about it for a second. So it says, you won't die, the serpent responds. It says, God knows. It's really this, So this is the third time that he's already kind of twisting things. God knows that, w- that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Satan's first attack was to create suspicion between Adam and Eve and God. That was actually the the first wave, if you will. The first attack was to get them to question God. So let me ask you the question. Why would they question God? Because they were in the Garden of Eden. It was perfection. All they knew was the goodness of God. And yet even in perfection... Satan came in to question God's nature and his character, because all they had ever known was that God was a good God. See, we still deal with this lie today, because we wonder sometimes, well, if God's good, why does this happen? That's a lie of the enemy. It's a deception. See how quick that happens? Just that fast. And we can believe these things, And so Satan wanted them to create some suspicion. Why? Because he wanted to create that question. Because what happens, it would be like when you you get into, just use a friendship relationship. If you become suspicious of them, what's your first reaction? Distance, right? You want to create some space. You're not going to, hey, hey, we got to get this right. No, not like, "Mm, I'm a little suspicious. Did you? I heard you said something about me, but I don't know if it's true, but I'm, I'm going to give a little space and let's just see how this thing's going to play out. That's the first thing that Satan did was try to get them to be suspicious of God. Why? Because it created this question. It created this distance. The next thing he said was, did, so he said that by saying, did God really say his next words were just not so subtle, but you won't die. God lied to you. So the liar, Satan, comes and says, God has lied to you. God said, if you eat that tree, you're going to die. And yet Satan comes and accuses God of being the liar. And says, that's not true. See, subtle little lies. And the story goes on. the, The passages go on. And it says, and the woman was convinced. She believed. Satan talked. She bought into the lie. Deceit set in. She became convinced that the Satan was right, that Satan was right, and that God was not truthful. It says that she saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And here's the funny thing: Did they not have all of the wisdom of God already? What did the tree have to offer her that she didn't already have? But yet she looked at this tree and said, "There's something in that tree that I don't have that I want." So she took of the fruit and she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, so Adam ain't off the hook, because he was just standing there quietly, like a goober, he should have slapped the apple out of her hand, but whatever. So they're both at fault. So, you know, people can say whatever, but they're both at fault. So she gave some to her husband, he ate it, it says, at that moment their eyes were opened. Well, wait, I, I thought that that's what... Didn't, I thought you said Satan was a liar, but he said that when you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be open. Yeah, but they weren't thinking in the way that he said. They were thinking, oh, we're going to gain what? Wisdom. We're going to get knowledge. We're going to get understanding that we don't have, that God's withholding from us. But look at the reaction. It says, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame. Isn't that interesting? The first reaction to believing what the enemy said to be true was that of shame. How many times does Satan come into our life and and whisper lies, and then once we become convinced of them, the first thing we do is feel guilty, we feel shameful, we want to hide. It's the natural reaction. We pull back. Why? Because we've become convinced about something that God, let me say it this way, I believe that many times we can be convinced about ourselves, things that God has never said about us. Give you an example. I'm broken. Who said you're broken? Jesus came to heal the broken. He didn't say some of the broken, he said he came to heal all the broken. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were what? Oppressed of the devil, who were weighed down by the devil. So it says that their eyes were open. They felt shame at their nakedness. And it says, So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Here's one of the ways that you, that you can know that you have bought into a lie from the enemy is you start trying to cover. I start trying to cover up. Maybe not in a physical sense, but I'm gonna, anytime that I'm beginning to distance myself from God and I begin to start covering up, sometimes we do that like, oh, everything's good, I'm happy, when in fact, on the inside, you feel like you're dying because you're hurting so bad, but you're going to put a smile on your face and tell everybody, glory to God, I'm good. Time to remove some fig leaves. Let God come in and, and what? To heal and to restore. Because what happens in it is exactly what happened here with Adam and Eve. Is that Satan promised one thing to get them to become convinced, but then he actually, they got something else. We would call it a bait and switch. You ever ordered something? like online or something, and you get it and you thought, this ain't what I ordered? I mean, I've had that happen. Like I bought some shoes one time. They looked really nice and cool online, and I got them, and I thought, what is this? This is not what I've ordered at all. And yet the enemy does that all the time. He promises us one thing, but yet he gives us something very different. In John chapter eight verse forty four, it says that Satan has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is the father of lies. The Passion Translation says it this way: that he's full of nothing but lies, and that lying is his native tongue, it's his native language. If he, how do you know if the devil's lying? Because he's talking. That's the only thing. I mean, like, well, how do I know if it's the devil? If you don't have peace, it ain't God. There's no condemnation from God. If you feel guilt and shame, that ain't the Lord. Romans 8, one. there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I don't feel guilty. Doesn't mean I don't mess up, but the thing is the Bible says I have a high priest, Jesus, that I can go to, who had laid down his life so that I don't have to feel that way. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect, it just means I'm forgiven. And I'm thankful I don't have to be perfect. I tried for a long time and it ain't possible. But I'm glad that I can be forgiven. But see, the the enemy will come and so he will try to mislead us, he'll try to deceive us. That's what the word lie means. So, the devil's main objective is to deceive us, but he deceives us to alter our perceptions, to, to change what we see as reality, so that we believe something that isn't actually true. You ever heard the phrase, like, things aren't always as they appear? That's what the enemy does in our lives. The, the word deceived actually means to cause someone to accept what is, or to accept as true something that is false. As I was doing, you know, a lot of times I'll do word studies, and I thought this was interesting. But as I was studying into this word, uh, deceive, one of the definitions was actually to ensnare, to bind, to capture, to trap. That's what the enemy wants to do. One of the other definitions of that word, ensnare, I thought, is something deceptively attractive. See, that's what the enemy does with with areas of, of of sin in our life, is he wants to say, "Well, it's not a big deal." It'll be fun. Yeah, but there's a snare on the backside of that. The Bible actually talks about this in Hebrews 11, uh, 25. It says that sin is pleasurable for a season. It is pleasurable for the moment. The problem is there are consequences that can come with it sometimes that are way greater than what we've seen. See, anytime that we're deceived this is what i can tell you there's destruction deception is destructive and yet the enemy wants to blind us to what the truth of god's word so that we'll, we'll buy into his lies and live far below the life that jesus died for every one of us to have far below and so it's important that we understand it. here's the the second second lie that i want to share with you this morning is that the enemy wants to convince you that every thought you have is your own thought. You ever had this thought like where did that come from? Just seemingly out of nowhere just it's like man what in the heck It very well could be the enemy working trying to to gain access into your life. Ephesians chapter 6 Starting in verse 10, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. It says, Put on all of God's armor. Remember, we're in a fight, so why do you need armor? Because you're in a fight. You're in a war. But there's a purpose. It says, So put on the armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the tactics and the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenlies. So that word strategies and tactics, it's the same word as the book of Genesis where it says that uh, Satan came and, what, tricked Eve. It says that he was shrewd, right? He was cunning. It's the same word. He's deceitful. The Amplified says it this way. Is that we are to stand up against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. So we, we have to understand, is that, and part of the, one of the major weapons that I see that the, that, the, that the devil uses against us is our thoughts. Because he wants to convince us that he didn't put it there, that we put it there. Oh, no, you thought that thought. No, you didn't. I just take it. Nobody knows. You do. So even that statement, nobody knows. I think you count as somebody. It's not that big a deal just to fudge on that number, or just to do this, or just to do that. You know it. And yet the enemy will come and say, "Ah, oh, nobody cares. Nobody knows. That's where having character matters. Why? Because it actually protects your heart. Because even if you, ne- like, I'll just, I'll just tell them myself, okay? When I was a teenager, I used to steal baseball cards. And I don't mean like a few. I mean like, I never got caught. Never. But I can't tell you for how many years that I knew I was a thief. That I'd stolen stuff. Nobody else knew, but I knew. And man, and it, and just like what the devil did, oh, you want this? I knew it. In my own heart I did, man, and it played on my, On my thoughts. Like, oh, well, that's insignificant. I'm telling you, the fallout from it wasn't. It wasn't. And the enemy will come and try to give us these little things, try to make just little areas of compromise. Well, it's not a big deal. Well, you know, I can watch this show. I know it's a little too far, but you know, it's okay. I'll just pray a little more. I'm strong enough. How about that lie? I'm strong enough. I know who I am in Christ. I can watch this. I can listen to that. That is a lie. And deception will be destructive in your life. It's little things. You're like, "Oh, are you like the are you like the holy police?" No, I'm not. I'm just telling you the truth is that influence makes a difference in your life. And what comes through your eyes and what comes in through your ears makes a difference in your life. And whatever you look at, whatever you meditate upon, will produce in your life. We talk about meditating scripture. Some of you are meditating lyrics all the time, and you wonder why you struggle in areas of your life. It's because you've meditated on something that the enemy has brought into your life to produce something that God never intended you watch TV shows, and all of a sudden, you're like, you know, man, I haven't struggled with this forever, but I saw this on this show, and I just thought, man, that might be good. Where did that thought come from? Deception's destructive, right? It's powerful. So, what do we do about it? Ephesians chapter six, verse sixteen, out of the passage, transla- passion translation, it says, "In every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield." For it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. So part of the armor here in Ephesians 6 says, take up the shield of faith. And there's a whole list of armor there. But I'm going to use faith. Why? Because I love how it talks about the flaming darts of the wicked. I just see, it's like the enemy going, sending a thought. And it comes and boom, hits. And the Bible says that we can actually stop that from happening by using the shield of faith. You're like, okay, well, how do I do that? Sounds good. How do I do it? It's very simple. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing God's word. That's why we have to constantly read Scripture. That's why we need to be thinking about Scripture in our mind. We need to meditate on Scripture. Why? Because it is building up your faith. The more we hear God's word, the bigger and stronger our faith shield of faith can become to block out all those flaming darts of the wicked one. Here's the other good side benefit. If you know God's word, when the enemy's thought comes, you're going to think, that ain't from God. I know him. I know his word, and that don't sound like him. So it's important that we know that. Now listen to this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. I don't know if I've ever really caught this scripture until I was studying I thought, wow, this is such an interesting scripture. Paul talking to a bunch of believers, Christians. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's clever lies, your thoughts may be corrupted, and you may lose your single-hearted devotion and pure love for Christ. Just as Eve was deceived by the lies of Satan, that your thoughts... He says, I'm concerned that your thoughts may be corrupted and you could lose your single-handed devotion and pure love for Christ. He's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. But what he is saying is you might lose the joy of your salvation, though. You might lose some of that heartfelt joy in the life that God came to give you. So now you're just a Christian by name, but your experience, why? Because you have believed some lies. See, I've already talked about this a little bit, but I want to make this statement, is that the battle has been won. The Bible's very clear about this. The battle has been won. Jesus won the battle. But there are battles that are still being fought. Because we are awaiting what... The Bible talks about that Jesus is our soon-coming king. It's one of the names that he gives for Christ. We're still waiting on him to come. But the battle of the mind is one of the fiercest. If you can win the battle right here, you can win a lot. I mean, like, the majority... If you can get this calmed down, your thought life calmed down, if you can get your thoughts in line with God's Word, you will greatly, greatly, greatly thwart the work of the enemy in your life. The flip side of that is too, you can have everything else right, you can come to church, you can be reading your Bible every day, but if your mind's going crazy all the time and you're just letting the devil say and allowing those thoughts and you're meditating on these thoughts wondering where they come from and you never take them captive guess what you're in for a long road because the enemy will gain an advantage he will now second corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 give us a great picture of this i'm wrapping up so y'all can i'm having to cover a lot of content this morning it's mostly the bible and with a little bit of David sprinkled on the top, you know. That's why I'm giving you scriptures, though. Because I, I need to. Because I don't need to convince you that, of what I think. I want to show you what God's Word says. Because truth brings freedom. That's what I want for you. See, many times we can be bound in areas that we don't even realize. Many times. Why? Because he's stealthy. He's subtle. He just comes in slowly. Comes in, drops a little whisper, little whisper, little whisper, little... Until what? We become convinced that he's right. Now he has an advantage in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. I love this. But they have divine power. Divine power. And he's about to tell us what our weapons are. But he says our weapons have divine power. It's not just us. It's not just being mentally tough. It's not just powering through it. There's more to it than that. But our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds. You may have given the devil a place. You may have believed some lies, but I'm here to tell you that those can be broken off of your life. You don't have to think and believe the lies of the devil. You don't have to. Because you have weapons. It goes on and it says that we destroy every argument and every lofty opinion that raised against the knowledge of God, against his word, everything that we would believe that God's word speaks differently about. We take those thoughts captive. And cause them to come into obedience to Christ. So how do I do this? Just, rec- just start here. If you're like, this is all new to me. I don't even understand. Just say, if a thought comes. If a thought of inferiority comes into your life. Just say, Father, I thank you that I'm not inferior. That the greater one lives on the inside of me. That Philippians 4 tells me I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me the ability to do it. Father, I thank you that that's a lie of the enemy. And if you'll recognize it, that's the number. that's the first thing. I got to know some scriptures. If you don't know some scriptures for whatever, ask a friend. Phone a friend. Don't matter, whatever. Say, so I had this thought. What does the Bible say about this? Like, well, I don't got a friend who knows the Bible. Call the office. You can talk to me. I got a phone. I've never used it. It's in my office. You know? It's begging to be used. Most people call me on my cell phone, but call the office and Donna can. Transfer it to me. It never happened. (laughs) At least we know it works, right? (laughs) See, here's what I want you to know. And this is such a powerful truth. If we want to truly become free, like really free in the way that God desires and wants us to, then we've got to make Jesus the Lord of our minds, not just our heart. He's got to become Lord of our thoughts, of our minds, of what we process and think through. That word Lord simply means master, supreme. In other words, hey, I'm, I'm not going to think whatever I, just randomness I want to think. I'm going to guard my mind. I'm going to guard it. Why? Because those thoughts will drop into my heart. And I don't want things in my heart. That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because that's the direction that your life's headed. But it starts in your thought life. And the enemy would love, 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 love to get an advantage in our thoughts. And he can do it so quickly and so stealthily. He can rush in and rush out and we'll never know he was there.